We pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word that assures us of this truth that Jesus Christ is the risen Savior. Son of God, Son of Man, the firstborn from among the dead. Wow, what a powerful truth. God, I pray that, uh, that this morning you would um, speak through your word to your people. Convict our hearts. Show us where we have unbelief. God, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. It's great to have you with us this morning for, um, as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And um, we're going to be in um, John chapter 20 this morning, if you want to be turning there. Um, as you're turning there, just really quickly, I, I want to say, if, you, if you're visiting with us for the first time, um, we're so thankful to have you here with us. And, and uh, um, if you could, f- could fill out that little green card so we can um, connect with you and follow up and uh, have some way to say thank you for coming, um, that'd, be, that'd be super helpful to us. Um, and also, um, I just want to say for, for those of you that where Neighborhood Church is your home, um, the, the opportunity that we have coming up to serve our community uh, with this uh, family fun night. Um, I, I know it just says family fun night. It sounds like it'll just be inflatables and snow cones. And I mean, who doesn't want to come to that? But, but it's a great opportunity for us to meet our neighbors. It's a great opportunity for us to um, show our community that we care and that we are involved here and that we, we, we love the families here in this community. And so I hope that you will take the opportunity to serve in that way. To, uh, it's going to take kind of all hands on deck to pull off something like that. And, and uh, I'm just, it's so exciting from my seat to see the body of Christ come together and communicate to our community that we love them and as we invite them to meet and follow Jesus. Uh, we, are, we are wrapping up a series this morning that we've kind of been in, although if you missed all the context, that's okay, we'll catch you up, uh, where we, we, um, we kind of reviewed the, the Passover and, and tied that into the passion of Jesus Christ. And, and again, if you're, if you're new around here, I hope, you'll, I hope you'll come back and stick around. We're starting a new series next week called Living Sacrifices, what it means to follow this Jesus and what, what it means to be a, a functioning Christian in the world and in the body of Christ. And so I, I hope that you'll come and, and, and check that out. We celebrate Easter, the, the, the festival of the resurrection, the, the resurrection day. We, we know that Jesus rose on a Sunday because the day before it was Sabbath, and that is why the church has historically always met, the New Testament church has always met on Sunday for that reason. Every week to get together and remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And once a year, uh, and, and it, anyway, once, once a year we follow the Jewish calendar for Passover. And the Sunday right after we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. And so it matters. It matters so much. It, I even put a suit on and didn't wear flip-flops this morning. Not that that means anything. I just figured, let's see if it still fits. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is, is writing to the, the church at Corinth and, and makes the point that... Um, that if the resurrection isn't real, 
If we believe in, like, yeah, Jesus came and, and he was real good and, and maybe, he even, uh, maybe he even was God and maybe he even died for our sins and that's all great. But if, but if the resurrection didn't happen, then we, Paul says, are most of all to be pitied. The resurrection matters so much. The resurrection is where God raised Jesus from the dead and in doing so placed a stamp of, of divine approval on the work and accepting Jesus' payment for our sins and accepting his righteousness as ours. It's powerful, and it's so important that we get together and remember that and study it. And, and uh, you know, why does the resurrection matter? Uh, it matters, like, a lot. Our entire faith hint swings on the hinge that is the resurrection. And so uh, it, it's super important. A- anyway, I, I just wanted to introduce myself. I'm Oren. I'm the pastor here. Um, I, get to, I get to stand up here and communicate what God has been teaching me every week. And that is a great privilege. And uh, I get to minister here with my, with my family, my lovely wife, Kara, who is leading the, leading the worship team. And um, most of the little blonde heads bobbing around are mine. Um, and hers, too. Um, and soon to be another one, although maybe a while before it's bobbing around. Um, as, we, as we approach this passage, I, I, want, I want to catch all of us up. So Jesus, if, if this is kind of new to you, you know, as we invite our neighbors to meet and follow Jesus first, who is this? So, so Jesus, born, we celebrate that at Christmas time. The festival of the incarnation where God put skin on and took on human flesh and lived among us and grew up and then started his public ministry all up in the Galilee region. And I understand if you're not really familiar with uh, um, Israeli uh, topography and geography, that's okay. Um, I only recently got to go there and get my head around it. It's only like the size of New Jersey. But up in the north part, you know, in, in the Galilee region, he did most of his ministry. And then it, and, and, and most of the, the early parts of the Gospels follow that. A lot of the teaching in all the different little towns and the little synagogues. And then at some point, he begins traveling down to Jerusalem. Now, that's not the only time he ever went there. The, the, the um, Jewish, Jewish men especially, but, but Jewish families would make three times a year a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, which sounds crazy until you realize how small the country is. It is actually doable. And particularly for Passover, that is the highest holy day in the Jewish calendar. And they would go to Jerusalem. And so we see in the Gospels this, this part where he's, he's traveling and ministering in towns on the way, but he's on his way to Jerusalem. And then we see, we, we celebrated last week Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the the time on the calendar where we remember the, what we call the triumphal entry, where Jesus, is, he approaches Jerusalem, and those that have followed him have gone ahead of him, and, and uh, well, he knew how to make an entrance. And uh, you know, they, they put their, their, their coats down, they put, their, they put palm leaves and stuff like that down, and, and treated him like a king because they believed he was, and he is. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David the rightful king. And so Palm Sunday is when we, we remember that. And Palm Sunday, we know, occurred exactly one week before the resurrection. And so we, then we, we looked at the Passion Week, and we looked at that a little bit um, on Friday. But we, then at some point during that week, you know, Jesus is teaching in Jerusalem, and um, he has some hard things to say to the religious leaders, and they weren't huge fans of his. Um, and so they plot to, uh, to have him killed, which is the kind of thing you really want to look for in your religious leaders. Um, not so much 
but anyway, but anyway, so they, you know, they they said, you know, that let's uh, let's silence this guy permanently, and that didn't uh, work. We know, but we see that we see that in the you know kind of that 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 draws the end of his Jerusalem ministry, and so we we follow the Passion Week, and that's where we that's where we got to see these incredible these incredible tie-ins of how how Jesus is the firstborn, Jesus is the Lamb that was slain, and it's the blood of Jesus as the ultimate Passover lamb that atones for our sins and that doesn't just give us innocence it gives he gives us his righteousness and he takes our sin and pays for it and we look at how Jesus is is represented in the unleavened bread symbols of Passover and if you weren't here for any of this you're like wow that's a lot and what is he even talking about Um, it's okay it's on Spotify uh, and I don't care if you don't listen to it but that's all right Jesus every single Story in this book points to him. And it's incredible to to see how a story from the second book of the Bible way back in Exodus was pointing to Jesus all along. And that's uh, it's just incredible. And so as we approach John chapter 20 today, we 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 have we have been through and we we didn't go through this and study it, but Jesus and his followers have been through um, the the Last Supper. He was betrayed by one of his best friends. He had gathered, he'd gathered a lot of followers, but 12 specifically that were really, really, really close to him. They followed him to every town he went. They studied under him. He was their teacher. They were his students, and they were learning from him, and they were some of his, they were his closest companions, period. One of those guys was the one who betrayed him to the chief priests and the, and the people who had him arrested. That stings. And then he's abandoned by the rest of his followers. And, and then on top of that, one of, his, one of his closest of the 12, there were three he was really close with, James, John, and Peter. While Jesus is being flogged and beaten and, and prepared for execution, one of those three, his best friends, denied that he ever even knew him. It's been an eventful couple of days for the disciples for Jesus. And so as we approach John chapter 20, understand that, that what we see here is not a group of people who had followed Jesus show up and see the tomb empty and say, ha ha, I knew it. I told you. He told us all along and we knew this was going to happen. No, there, there are a lot more emotions wrapped up. And that's one of the reasons I want to study John. If you want to know how people felt, John is the gospel to read. And so let's read here. We're going to read the whole chapter, uh, John chapter 20, starting in verse 1 here. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. You see, Mary Magdalene had a very special relationship with Jesus, and no, it wasn't weird, and no, they weren't married. Um, Mary Magdalene was as lost as you could get. Jesus came across her in his his travels and in his his ministry, certainly by no accident. Uh, You might say he found her, and it was looking for her. And she, had, she was possessed and controlled by seven demons. 
That's not something we're going to get into a whole bunch today because uh, the, the, he's Jesus and that's not the point of the message. But, but she was completely lost and Jesus found her and drove seven demons out of her and saved her. And she followed him ever after that. She's the first one that we read about that gets up really early and goes to the tomb. There may have been a couple other women that went there with her, but she in particular went there early and saw that the stone was rolled away. Now, we got to, when we were in Israel, we got to go and see one of the possible locations of the tomb. We have no idea which one is, you know, if, if the tomb that Jesus was in is even still um, in existence or if it's been destroyed, but there are some possible ones that kind of fit with the story and the things that we know. And one of the ones that was, that was a possible location, they had a stone that would have been rolled in front of and covered uh, the entrance of a tomb. It didn't look that big. It wasn't like, you know, eight feet tall and all this. It was like, you know, maybe this big or something like that. It weighed as much as a Mini Cooper. The, you cannot move it. Not with one person. She saw the stone had been taken away. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I love how John puts that stuff in there. Just a little dig. He and Peter were close, but uh, I don't know. It seemed important. We were racing, and just for the record, uh, since this will be recorded for eternity, I won. (laughs) And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. And then the the disciples went back to their homes. It's interesting that they retreat back to and homes, it's just you know, the places they were staying there in Jerusalem. They kind of didn't know what to make of it, but kind of believed. It's like, well, I've seen it. He, he did mention this. It came up a few times. But they didn't yet have the understanding that like, oh, wait a second. Like, he wasn't just saying this. The whole scripture was pointing to this. This is how it had to happen. They did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting there, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. 
And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she didn't know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Like he doesn't know. Supposing him to be the Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were in fear of the Jews, uh, let's realize um, they were his closest followers The Jews just had Jesus killed. Now who is public enemy number one? Now that number one, okay, public enemies number two through 13 were these guys. Well, two through 12, because one of them, you know, was a double agent. The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. And if you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Like, I feel really bad for him. You ever been the guy that just, you know, the, the guy that missed out on the big thing? Feels really bad. And it's nobody's fault, but it really stinks. He was not with them when Jesus came. So the other, other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Can you imagine? He wants to be excited, but can you imagine the disappointment? And he says to them, unless I see his hands, in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them this time. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written to you 
so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I want to look just briefly at the reactions of different people in this story. The first one we talked about a little bit already is the disciples. The disciples were amazed. They were they were amazed. They were also perplexed. And as you read the other gospel accounts to get kind of the, the whole picture of things, you see that and one of them, it, it records that they, they returned back to their homes full of fear and trembling. It wasn't this instantaneous. They looked in and were like, yes, it was all true. They wanted to believe. They, they did believe. Have you ever wanted to believe something so bad that when you finally got some confirmation of it, you were kind of like afraid to believe it? It's like, I don't want to, I don't want to, maybe I'm seeing this wrong. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm interpreting the facts wrong. And may, maybe, I don't want to hope because if I hope and then it's, it ends up not, then that's even worse. We don't know for sure that that's, I'm not trying to put things into scripture that aren't there. But he says here, they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. They would eventually see Jesus and believe completely, but at first they felt all the normal emotions from hopeful excitement to fear and trembling. We see Mary Magdalene. Her sorrow turned to joy. After Jesus changed her life so much, seeing him made everything okay. What a, what a powerful picture of someone. She is so sorrowful. I mean, it says you know, she, doesn't, she doesn't seem to recognize the angels as angels, it, it seems. I don't, maybe she does, and it's like, it like, angels, that's really cool, but like, I really love Jesus, and he's not here. Yeah, angels are really cool to look at, but that's not, um, that's not what I was looking for. I just want to see Jesus. I just want to follow him wherever he is. That's where I want to be. He's not here. Jesus may have, may have shrouded her ability to recognize him, but is it not entirely possible that in her weeping and grief, she couldn't even see clearly? Have you ever... Oh, you ever find yourself in that kind of situation where you are so overcome with what's in front of you? You're so overcome with, with what you're having to deal with, the pressures of your life. It's like blinders and you can't even see what's right here. But we don't find judgment for her. <laughs> we don't find a Snap out of it, open your eyes, look, it's me. No, we find a Savior who understands. We find a Savior who loves her and recognizes her sorrow and has compassion on her. And her sorrow is turned to joy. We got Peter. We're going to... Um, <clears throat> we have to look back really quickly to... Um, Chapter 18. So rewind a little bit. During the, the various trials where Jesus is, you know, carted back and forth between 
the Roman governor's house and the, um, and the high priest's house. The, 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 the nation of Israel was allowed to govern themselves, particularly as far as it related to their religious laws, because gov- Rome was like, we really don't care about that like at all. Um, and since you're on the edge of our empire and we need a buffer zone, we'll give you some special privileges. You can have your own little system of laws and stuff. Don't cause any trouble. Um, but as long as you guys stay, you know, stay under our thumb. We'll take care of you. You don't even have to pay for the standing army at first. And uh, you, you just do that. But the one thing they couldn't do, even though they, they could govern themselves, they, they, could not, if, they could not prosecute capital crimes. And so if they wanted, you know, to put someone to death for a crime that related to the religious laws, like they did with Jesus... It's like, but that's blasphemy. And Rome's like, what, what is blasphemy? We don't, we don't even believe in the same God. We don't care about that. If they wanted to execute someone, they had to get permission. The, the Roman governor had to, had to do that. So they're going back and forth between, the, you know, so the, the, the high priests are like, he's blasphemy, yeah, that's blasphemy. And then they go over, to, uh, go over to Rome and they don't say blasphemy. They say, he claims to be king. And kind of change the charges for, to something Rome would care about. Anyway, during all of this, most of the disciples from the Garden of Gethsemane have scattered, but Peter follows from a distance. And we see, as he's, uh, he's before the high priest, Simon Peter followed Jesus, uh, verse 15. And so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. And, they, you know, so he's in there for questioning with the high priest. Now, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself by the fire, and so they, they said to him, you're also not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it again, said, I'm not. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, didn't I see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And it wants a rooster crowed. Now, why does that matter? Because Jesus had told Peter. He said, he said G, G, Peter had said to Jesus, Jesus, I will follow you to the end, even to death. And Jesus said, Peter, don't write checks. Don't let your mouth write checks that uh, you can't cash. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will have denied me three times. And Peter's like, I'm not going to, no way, no way. I would follow you even to death. And when the rooster crowed, he knew it had happened. I needed to set that up because if, if, you, if, we, if you turn ahead to chapter 21, we see where, uh, so, so Jesus had, had told them, go, go back to Galilee Go back up north, go back to um, where you're from, and I will meet you there. So they're up in Galilee, 
It's maybe a week later. Hadn't seen Jesus. They're not really sure what they're supposed to be doing. And Peter thought to himself, you know what I haven't done in a while? Gone fishing. He used to fish for a living. And in the absence of knowing what he should have been doing, in the absence of a mission, he defaulted back to the only thing he knew. And so he says to them, guys, I'm going fishing. And so, so anyway, so they're, so they're out there fishing. Jesus um, appears to them. Um, he's on the shore. And he calls out to them, you guys catch anything? No. Try casting the net on the right side of the boat. You'll find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And the disciple that Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about 100 yards off. And, and what, we, what we see later on, so, that, so then they have breakfast, which goes to continually prove Jesus' humanity. He actually could eat with them. He breathed on them when, he, when they were in the room and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And certainly the Spirit means breath. And just like God breathed the breath of life into Adam, similarly, Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit. But also, you know what dead um, people don't do? Uh, breathe. He's alive. He really is alive. He's breathing. He's hitting them here. He's eating. He's cooking breakfast for them and eating it. Got any fish? After breakfast, Jesus and Peter have a heart to heart. And this is part of the story. This is the part of the story that, that hits me the hardest in my heart. When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is so powerful because Peter had screwed up and I don't know about you, but for me, 
I am painfully aware of my capacity to screw up. I'm painfully aware of my own ability to misrepresent myself as a follower of Christ and misrepresent my Savior as a reflection of that. Peter had to be thinking, I'm not so sure Jesus is going to be happy to see me. Peter had to be thinking, after he denied him three times, and here's the thing, like repetition is really, really, really important when you read ancient literature. Repetition is always emphasis. And like you say something, like when it says truly, truly, he's like, no, really, really. But three times, that's like, that's almost like a, I don't believe you. Peter denied Jesus three times, and then three times Jesus asks him, do you love me? Do you really love me? Do you, but do you really love me? What I love about this is that even after Peter had screwed up, I mean, he'd like, Jesus is trying to get peacefully arrested here, and uh, Peter takes out a sword and cuts off somebody's ear. Jesus is like, put that away that's not what we're doing here and then and then and then he denies him three times and then and then you know when he should be waiting for instructions from Jesus what does he do he defaults to what he what he's always known and he goes fishing and that wasn't necessarily I'm not saying that was wrong but like just defaults back to well I guess I'll just go back to doing whatever I used to do but Jesus instead of saying you know what Peter I used to like you I think you had a lot of potential but I think you've now shown me your capacity to screw up is just a little more than I can trust you with this whole church thing we're going to start. No, no. Jesus says to him, follow me. Because you know what? At the end of the day, you can't go anywhere except forward in your life. You can't go back and change the past. You can change how you see and feel about the past. You see, confession means to agree. It doesn't mean to, it doesn't, when we confess our sins, that doesn't mean we tell God what we did. Yeah, because God doesn't know what we did. If he didn't know about it, well, couldn't we have all just kept the secret and then Jesus wouldn't have had to die on the cross? God knows about your sin. No, to confess means to say the same thing. It means that I'm agreeing with God about the sinfulness of my sin When we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. The invitation is still there. Follow me. Forget about that. Stop wallowing it. Stop wallowing in your mistakes. Get up. Go forward. Follow me. Do better. You can only go forward. I love that. I also love that Jesus was willing to have the hard conversation to restore the relationship. Not that Jesus wasn't okay with Peter until he'd had the conversation. Jesus' Jesus, forgiveness um, could not have been more available. But Peter Peter needed Jesus to have that hard conversation with him so that he could feel better about it. Jesus loved him enough to have a hard conversation. There's a whole lesson there. All right, we've got to keep moving here. Thomas... So, so we've seen the, the disciples, you know, Peter and John. We've seen Mary Magdalene, sorrow turned to joy. Peter, I screwed up bad. Thomas, I'll believe it when I see it myself. And if not, I will never believe. 
It wasn't enough that everybody else that Thomas knew and loved and trusted believed. They believed it. They proclaimed it. He needed more. Before we get too hard on Thomas, let's just remind ourselves that everybody else who's proclaiming it had gotten the thing that Thomas was asking for. So, I mean, in all fairness, they had seen him. And can we really fault Thomas for wanting to? He loved him too. I believe it when I see it myself. Um, I, I want to turn really quickly, and you can turn there with me if you want, but you don't have to. Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew's account, we get a little peek behind another curtain. After the resurrection is the cover-up. And we see here So, so first we need to go, go to the, the end of 27. The next day, that is after the day of preparation. Uh, so this is right after Jesus has you know, died and been buried. On the, ne- the, the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and they said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, He's risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to him, you have a guard of soldiers, go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now, after the resurrection, 28, starting in verse 11, it says, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave them a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and they did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. For the leaders and the guards, this truth, yeah, we've got, we've got some of our own people now who are saying, hey, listen, um, it happened. And they're saying, no, it didn't. No, it didn't. And they say, okay, no, it didn't. You see, for the, for the people that were on the wrong side of history there, um, the truth was a little too inconvenient. The, the amount of rearranging of their lives that was going to have to happen, the amount of, the amount of upheaval that, that was going to cause, the, the amount that they would lose in position and authority was too much. This truth is too much to believe, and so I choose not to believe it. I can see that it's probably true, and I choose not to believe it because it would require too much of me. Believing that is more than I am willing to give up. As we close by way of application, if you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus Are you still amazed by Jesus?
Maybe you've followed him your whole life. Maybe you've been a Christian since, you know, just like one of your earliest memories. You've hardly known anything different. Are you still amazed by Jesus? Sure, when you, when you see his work in your life, but then all, when you read this book, this old, tired book that you're so familiar with and you think you know inside and out and you, you know all these stories and... Are you still amazed when you read it? Jesus woke up dead, except he woke up not dead anymore after legit actually being dead, folded up the little cloth that was on his face, and walked out of the grave. Are you still amazed by that? Is this just a, a tired story that you're used to hearing and, and we only even talk about it at Easter because we're so familiar with it? Are we not still amazed by Jesus? Like Mary Magdalene, does your sorrow turn to joy when you remember the risen Savior? Does, does the fact that Jesus is alive and real and loves you and cares for you and has saved you and provided forgiveness for your sins, does that not give you enough perspective to rise out of whatever funk you're in. I'm preaching to myself here sometimes. Is that not enough perspective to see my problems, my aches and pains, my stress, my anxiety, my whatever? Is it not enough that Jesus has raised from the dead and told you, promised you, you too will rise with me and live with me? If you only believe. Is that not enough? Do you live in the hope that there's more to life than just this life? That, that all the stress and all of, the, all of the, the difficulty and all of the, you name it, is nothing but a blip, not even a blip on the timeline of eternity. That this is just barely the beginning of eternal life for you. Do you live in that hope? Or do you, I, I know if you're, a, if you're a follower of Christ, you would say, oh, no, of course, I believe I'll you know, be in heaven someday. But, but do you live under this cloud or do you live like you have hope? Like, it's okay. This, is, this, this will all be over soon and it isn't going to matter anymore. Like some of the problems that you have, are they still going to matter a year from now? Maybe. Five years from now? Ten? How about a hundred years from now? How about a hundred thousand years from now? Is it still going to matter? Like eternity is a real long time. Is the stuff that we are worried about right now, are we still going to be worried about that then? Because if we're, if we're followers of Christ, we, we're going to be around. We're going to be with him. Do you live in that hope? Do you wonder if Jesus is going to be disappointed in you for screwing up? I don't know about you, but this is the one that I need, to, I need to hear the most. Maybe you do believe this stuff. Maybe you do have this hope. I will rise again with him someday. I will be with him for eternity. I will have eternal life. But I'm not so sure he's going to be glad to see me. He's going to welcome other people in. And then like when it gets to be my turn, I'm just kind of like, 
like that as I walk in, you know, however heaven works. I don't know about you, but that's a, we can feel that way. Just remember how Jesus loved Peter. Jesus understands our weaknesses. That doesn't mean he's okay with our sin. But what does he say? Follow me. Just do better. Go forward. That's the only way you can go. And I, and I, I want to speak for a moment to those who maybe have not chosen to follow Jesus. Maybe you've been around church, or maybe, maybe this is one of the first times you've been in church, or maybe church is like you know, Easter is the, the one uh, Sunday a year you go to church, and whatever. And maybe you've never really gotten your head around this, or maybe you've never really believed in this truth. Clearly, you must assent to it to some degree, or you wouldn't be here um, to celebrate this at all, but... Do you want to believe, but it just sounds a little too good to be true? Are you afraid to hope? Maybe you believe, yeah, I think Jesus was real. I think he died on the cross, I guess, for my sins. Raising from the dead seems pretty um, far-fetched, but I think that was really good. Uh, Let me be clear with you. Believing in the resurrection matters a lot. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we don't have any reason to believe anything he said. It's that final, it's true. It's true. Do you keep telling God, if, you're, if you are real, I'm going to need just a little bit more? Like Thomas, are you right on the edge of belief? Where you, you, you want to believe, you kind of believe, But you need proof. Jesus said, you've seen and so you believe, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. I want to be clear. You don't need Jesus in your life to make your life better. Your life might get harder. I don't know. You need Jesus in your life because you need your sins forgiven. Same as me. I'm not saying God... (laughs) I'm not saying God will never bless you and all you're ever going to do is suffer as a Christian, but I'm also not going to say that, that God then owes you some kind of material blessing. He may and probably will choose to bless you in some ways, but you know what? That's not why. But can I just assure you, whether your life gets better or your life gets harder, when you choose to follow Jesus, your perspective changes. You'll know it's true. Or like the leaders and the guards, is it hard to let yourself really believe this gospel? Because it would mean reordering too much of your life. Is this message you're hearing today the thing that you keep pushing out to the edge of your mind? You can't even tell me that you don't lay in bed at night, staring up at the ceiling, waiting for sleep to come, and wondering, is there more to life than this? What happens when I die? First of all, I don't know how you go to sleep with that answer, un- that question unanswered. But is the thing keeping you from surrendering your life to Christ the fact that if you did, it would cost you too much? Yes, following Jesus costs you. It is a price always worth paying because as Paul said 
produces an eternal weight of glory. Is eternity, eternal life with God not enough? And yet, he still takes care of us. What an amazing God we serve. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that this morning. And we're not going to play some music and have an altar call and all this. Because I want to be really clear that like, why God should let us into heaven is not because I anything, because I prayed a prayer, because I believed, because I go to church, because I grew up in a Christian home, because I, if your sentence starts that way, that is not, that is not the answer to the question. The answer, the only answer is because he, because Jesus died for my sins. Because Jesus gave me his righteousness and because Jesus rose from the dead, just like scripture says. Jesus says to you today, follow me. Come and meet him and follow him. It will be worth it. You pray with me. Heavenly Father, What incredible truth, what incredible joy we find in this, in this truth. What comfort we find that Jesus is alive. We serve a risen Savior. We serve God who put on human skin, walked among us, allowed himself to be killed. And raised from the dead to prove beyond any shadow of a doubt that everything he said is true. Everything he claimed to be is true. God, oh, I want to believe. Help my unbelief. Give us faith. Thank you for coming to us because we could never come to you. In Jesus' name, amen.